Hey everybody, it's Summer at City Hope and we're in week two of the series that we're in called Beautiful Attitudes. So today I'm actually in Aguas Calientes, Mexico with 11 of our students from right here at City Hope Church. And first of all, we wanna say thank you for being generous because it's your generosity that helped get us here. You're making a difference through your giving. While we're here in Aguas Calientes, Mexico, ministering in a small village called Cumbres, it's your giving that helped make that happen. But while we're here, you're there. And uh, so I can't be in two places at one time. So I thought this would be a great weekend for you to hear from one of our overseers. Now, if you've been through Growth Track, you've heard me talk about how we are strengthened by overseers. These are men in my life, brothers, pastors, father figures in my life who they have a voice in my life. They have a vote in my life and they also have veto power in my life. That means that they can yank a knot in me, right? And so I'm grateful for these men. And you're going to get to hear from Pastor Jason Parks today. Pastor Jason pastors an incredible church in Harvest, Alabama called Refuge Church. And he's with us today for this special weekend. So would you do me a favor and stand up on your feet as he delivers a message on blessed are those who mourn. Come on, let's get up on our feet and welcome Pastor Jason Parks. Let's give Jesus all the praise. Let's give Jesus all the praise. City Hope Church, it is so great to see you. Are you excited to be in church today? Yes, please be seated. Please be seated. Thank you so much. I prefer to think of myself as a brother figure, not a father figure. Amen. Hey, it is so good to see you this morning. I believe we should honor up, honor down, honor all the way around. And so I honor Pastor Ben and Pastor Annalise and just the incredible vision that God has given them to reach Wichita Falls and reach Texas and reach the world. And I honor your church staff and your leadership and your dream team and your volunteers. And I honor each and every one of you for being here today and worshiping Jesus. Listen, you are making a difference. You are giving people hope. And eternity is different. Because of your compassion, because of your generosity, and because of what you're doing in this church and what you're doing in this city. And listen, I've been praying for you for weeks ever since Pastor Ben asked me to come. I believe that God wants to do something special in this place this morning. God's already been moving. He's already here. He's already done something special this morning. But I believe he has something for you uh, between services, Pastor Ben actually sent me a text and said he watched first service. And I said, if I would have known that, I would have been nervous. Come on. You know, you know, it's, it's like a teacher being evaluated. I'm like, what is going on? But I believe God has something special. And let's just pray together and then let's dig in to God's word this morning. Jesus, we love you so much. We honor you. We magnify you. We glorify you, Jesus. We lift your name high. And we thank you, Jesus, for your power and your presence in this place today. We thank you that you want to move. You want to speak powerfully into our lives. So, God, I pray that not only would we hear, I pray we would listen. And, God, I pray that the words that come from my lips come directly from your heart so that lives would be changed. We love you, Jesus. Jesus, it's in your name we pray. And everybody said Amen. Hey, we're in week two of a brand new series that Pastor Ben is calling The Beautiful Attitudes. And 
This is based on what we believe is the most popular sermon that Jesus taught when he was on the earth, a sermon that we call the Sermon on the Mount. And what Jesus does is he gives us these nine beautiful attitudes, these nine kingdom values for kingdom living, and they're better known as the Beatitudes. As Pastor Ben mentioned last week, this will be a challenging series because what we're going to find is that these kingdom values are counter-cultural. If you look around our culture, if you look around our world, if you look around our country, what you're going to find is that these principles that Jesus gives us do not look anything like the principles of the world. And we see Jesus giving us as believers this clear direction for the kind of attitudes and the kind of principles and the kind of values that we need to have as we are representing him, as we were being his ambassadors, as we are being his hands and feet, or we are being the light of the world to a hurting world. And today's beatitude is especially countercultural. Because the culture says this. The culture says, do what makes you happy, right? Do what makes you happy. In fact, the culture says you only live once, so do whatever you want to do. Do whatever you enjoy. Do what makes you happy. But we know as believers in Jesus Christ, you only live once is just a myth. Amen, somebody? Right? And so what we see in the scriptures, while culture says do what makes you happy, Jesus says your life can be blessed. And that's completely different. Because when we look in the original language, what we see about this word bless is that bless actually means more than happy. The world says you can be happy. Jesus says you can be more than happy. You can be complete. You can be fulfilled. You can have something that the world does not have. And while happiness is all built around circumstance, the Bible says you can be blessed. You can have a joy. You can have something inside of you that rises up even when times are tough and when things are hard. So that's really the heart behind this series. This is Pastor Ben's heart because really what he wants is he wants you to experience the blessed life. He wants you to experience the abundant life that only comes from following Jesus Christ. Last week you spent time in Matthew chapter 5. You really honed in on verse 3. We're going to keep going this morning and look at verse 4. Matthew 5, 4, it says this. God blesses those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Now, when we look at that word mourn, it means to mourn, but it actually paints a picture of grief. It paints a picture of deep sadness. It paints a picture of profound pain and even wailing. You see, in this culture, when Jesus was speaking, it was very common that when someone would pass away, that people would publicly mourn. They would cry and they would, they would wail and... There were even professional mourners that you could pay to come to your house if you passed away. Come to your house and wail and grieve over you. That's what you did when you didn't have any friends, right? <laughs> now we just come up with fake Facebook pages and we post about ourselves or something like that. But, but this idea of, of wailing and deep, profound pain that Jesus is talking about. Jason, you're telling me that God blesses us when we're... Sad? We don't like to be sad, do we? 
We don't like to be sad. We don't want to experience grief or mourning or pain. In fact, for most of us, we have grown up doing everything that we could possibly do to what? To avoid pain. In fact, for some of us in this room and some of us watching online, the deep hurts and the bad habits and the hang-ups that we're experiencing in our life the addictions that we find ourselves falling into, the whole reason we got into them in the first place was to do what? To numb pain and sadness. We don't want it. But friends, the Bible says that sadness, that mourning, that pain is a legitimate, healthy part of our journey with Jesus Christ. It's healthy. Think about it. Think about the scriptures. Think about the book of Job. There is a book called Lamentations. Think about the Psalms. These collections of scripture, they are full of emotion. And frankly, we see in the Old Testament that lament is a legitimate, appropriate response to the evil that is in our world. And the scripture teaches us not to ignore the pain in our life. Here's what I know about our faith. Many times our faith is a dichotomy. And when it comes to pain, our faith is truly a dichotomy because what we know from the scripture is that you can experience deep, profound pain and you can also have a forward-looking faith and you can have them simultaneously. It can happen at the same time. And So this morning, if you're taking notes, I want to share with you three important things about sadness now i'm going to use the word sadness but you can substitute grief mourning pain for any of these points today Uh, the number one is this sadness refines us sadness refines us ecclesiastes 7 3 this is king solomon writing he says sorrow is better than laughter for sadness has what it has a refining influence on us it refines us it strengthens us it changes us you see life is full of sadness and sorrow yet life's difficulties have the potential to activate and awaken a spiritual dimension inside of us you see what sorrow does is sorrow makes us think about life sorrow makes us reflect Sorrow makes us think about the meaning of life. Sorrow makes us think about our priorities. A party rarely does that. Celebration rarely does that. I think about times in my life where I've had a loved one pass away. Almost every time I begin to think about my life. I begin to reprioritize. I begin to think, well, gosh, if life is so short, what do I need to do to accomplish the vision, that the dream that God has given me? Sorrow... And suffering often bring people to God, while pleasure seldom does. And even these sad times give us hope and peace and strength. Because there is a mellowing and there is a maturing that takes place in affliction. And sorrow that cannot be attained any other way. Several years ago, I had the opportunity to go and tour, go and visit the Holy Land. If you ever have the opportunity to do that, I would encourage you to go. Because what I found is all of these stories that I've read all of my life, all of these stories that I've taught publicly for the past 15 years, 
after being in the places that they happened, they came to life. It changed the way I thought about them. It changed the way I taught them because I know that they're true. But when you're standing where they're happening, you know that they're true. And I remember being at Mount Carmel. I remember being at the garden tomb. I remember seeing all the sights and going to all the places. But the one place that impacted me more than any of the other's friends was the Garden of Gethsemane. Because in the Garden of Gethsemane, we see a, a, a God-man who was all divine and all God, but yet he was all man. He was all human at the same time. And it is in Gethsemane where we see his humanity. The place of the olive press. The place of pressing. The place of stress. The place of pain where we see our Savior under so much duress that he begins to sweat blood. And in his humanity, he said, God, if there is another way, let this cup pass from me. Jesus, who knew the end, who knew what's going to happen, he knew he was going to be resurrected. He knows what Revelation says. He knows who is going to win. But in that moment of sorrow and pain, he said, God, please let this pass from me. Yet, God, I want what? I want your will to be done in this situation, not mine. Deep sorrow and pain. You see, King Solomon, he is not condemning happiness. Just the opposite. He is advocating for an appropriate peace, a contentment that is not based on circumstances alone. He is saying that adversity is better than prosperity. And here's what I know, friends. Here's what I know about our God. He turns trials into testimonies. He takes messes and he turns them into ministries. He transforms pain into purpose. In the times of my life when I've grown the most were the times where I was stretched and the times that I was uncomfortable and the times that I experienced the most pain. I think back to the early years of church planting. One of the reasons I have such a heart for this church is because I too am a church planter. And I remember starting our church 10 years ago in an elementary school cafetorium. Come on, somebody. You know, you're up at 5 a.m. setting up that thing. And you're frustrated and you're tired, but it's a lot of fun, too. And it was a season where God was doing so much in the life of our church. And I remember that Sunday morning, we had a service and, and 30 people got saved during the service. And I mean... We were going nuts. You know what I'm talking about. We're celebrating. We're high-fiving. We're chest-bumping each other. One of my board members slapped my butt so hard I had a handprint bruise on it. You know what I'm talking about? He good-gamed me after that service. And I didn't forget it. It was exciting. Until we heard from the gymnasium, one of the volunteers screaming, one of the babies is hurt. One of the babies is hurt. Jason, come here. And I took Delph down the hallway, and she met me in the hallway, and she pushed me against the wall. And she said, no, Jason, one of your babies is hurt. You need to get back there. I got to the gymnasium. and At the time, our children's and preschool ministry was in the same large gymnasium, and there was an electronic curtain that would come down and separate the room into two rooms. And so for whatever reason that day, the custodian, he came in early. He wasn't really thinking about it. And he started raising the curtain before the kids were gone. And 
like elementary school kids would do. There were kids running and they were jumping and trying to hit the bottom of the curtain to see who could jump the highest, right? And my middle son, Luke, was one of those. But somehow as he was running and jumping, his arm got caught in the curtain as it was rotating and he began to be crushed within the curtain. And my oldest son was holding onto his legs three feet off the ground trying to pull him out screaming. Thankfully, we were able to get the curtain stopped and when we got him to the hospital, he only had a broken arm. But as a father and my wife as a mother looking back and we knew we were sick at our stomachs because we knew what would have happened if that curtain wouldn't have stopped. A celebration would have turned into mourning and grief. A few weeks later, our daughter was around two at the time. She was having some medical issues and we went to the doctor and they had some tests run and an ultrasound showed that there was a mass on one of her kidneys. They didn't know if it was a tumor. They didn't know if it was cancer. And That C word's a very scary word, isn't it? Some of you have heard that word. Some of you are walking through that right now and it was scary. And There were several days between the ultrasound and the CT scan that was to come and those days felt like years of worry and anxiety. There was a lot of tears, a lot of crying out to God over those few days. And I'll never forget after the CT scan was done and the doctors coming out and they were perplexed and they were confounded because they had this set of scans that showed that there was a mass on her kidney, but the CT scan showed that there was nothing there and it was a perfectly healthy kidney. They didn't know what was going on, but we understood what was going on in that moment. But then a few weeks later, okay, I have three children, and if you have children, you know, you get nervous when the children are what? When they're quiet. <laughs> when they're loud, everything's okay. When they're fighting, everything's good, but when they're quiet, there's a problem. And uh, one evening, everything was quiet, and so I was walking through the house, I walked into my oldest son's room and as a young boy he was lying on the floor with his hands around his neck when I asked him what was going on he said I don't want to live anymore seven years old there had been some behavioral stuff there had been some stuff we didn't understand and he didn't understand that by having his hands around his neck, he would pass out and he would ultimately be okay. But to him and his seven-year-old mind, this was a way to whatever pain he was dealing with, he was going to end it. And I've helped people through that situation over and over again. But in that moment, I forgot everything. He was diagnosed with severe anxiety. And all of these years later, because of counseling and great doctors and counselors who helped me and my wife understand how to raise a child with anxiety. My son is in high school and he is thriving now. But, but then there was a few weeks later. We were also pregnant at the time and we had a miscarriage and our fourth child passed away. 
And the thing about most of these circumstances that we were going through, friends, we just didn't tell anybody about them because we had an image that we had to uphold. We were trying to minister. We were trying to lead a church. Here's what was happening. The church was experiencing the greatest days at that time it had ever seen. And while the ministry was thriving, we were dying. We were hurting. And I will never forget the first time I shared the story about my child's anxiety with our church family. When I finally had the courage. And that morning, seven families came down front. And they said, we're dealing with the same thing. Can you help us? I'll never forget the Sunday that I stood on stage and I looked into the congregation and I said maybe some of you are in here and you have experienced a miscarriage I want you to know I'm sorry that your child passed away because most people have never heard that we brush it under the rug and pretend like it's not a big deal but it is a very big deal And through those moments, as painful as they were, God taught us so much. And not only did God teach us, what God did is he took those moments and he allowed us to use those moments to give people hope. Pain points. The purpose, number two, if you're taking notes, you've got to understand that sadness is temporary. It's temporary. Psalm 30 verse 5 says, For his anger lasts only a moment, but his favor lasts a lifetime. Weeping may last through the night, but joy comes with the morning. Joy comes with the morning. Revelation 21 verse 4. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. And there will be no more death or sorrow or crying or pain. All of these things are gone forever. You see, sadness is temporary. Unfortunately, though, when we are in the middle of difficult circumstances, they feel like they're going to last forever, don't they? But we have to remember, friends, that our God is a God that works in seasons. And there are mountaintop seasons and there are valley seasons. But what I know is God is the God of the mountaintop and he's the God of the valley. He's the God of both. And these seasons are temporary. They are not permanent. I've heard it said before that we are either going into the storm, we are in the middle of a storm, or we're coming out of a storm. I didn't think I was ever going to make it yesterday. My flight was canceled four times from Huntsville, Alabama. Because of what? A storm. Big storm system. Severe storms. And I was frustrated, but what I've learned... In my life following Jesus is that I can't get too frustrated about the things I can't control. Just got to roll with the punches sometimes. God, I don't know what you're doing, but you're doing something. But about that fourth time, I had to go talk to the lady at American Airlines. And just say, ma'am, is this flight going to happen? Because Pastor Derek needs to know if he's preparing a sermon or not for tomorrow. Like, somebody's got to know something. And she was so precious. And she said, here's what I know. She said, when the time is right, our pilot is either going to take you around the storm, 
He's going to take you over the storm. And it may be bumpy, but if he has to, he'll take you straight through it. And what I realized in that moment is that is the same way our God works. Because sometimes he will take us around the storm or over the storm. But sometimes he takes us straight through it, bumps and all. But he is with us because he will never leave us. He will never forsake us, the scripture says. He is there. But here's what I also know. You and I, we have an enemy. And he hates you. He hates you because you have value to God. In this uh, morning today, whatever season, whatever situation you're in, he wants you to believe. The enemy wants you to believe that you are alone, that you are on an island by yourself, and that you're the only person in the entire world dealing with whatever you're dealing with. He wants you to walk away from the faith. He wants you to walk away from the family of God. He wants you to believe you are isolated and alone. Friends, this is why church, one of the reasons it is so important, because I would suffice it to say, in a church this size, whatever you're going through, there are probably people in this room or people in this building or people in a service or people online and they have walked through or are walking through whatever you're walking through and God has put you together so you can encourage each other, lift each other up and walk through it together. That's why small groups are so important. Our ability to build relationships on Sunday morning, it's... It's nothing like being involved in a small group. It's about you connecting. It's it's the little things that we don't even realize. It's food trucks on a first Wednesday night. Well, we just do that because it's fun. Yeah, you do it because it's fun, but you also do it because you're hanging out and you're meeting new people and you're making new friends. And that food truck may turn into a family that you've never met before coming over to your house or going swimming together or going and grabbing dinner or lunch after church and connecting so you can do life with people. And then the third and final thing I know about sadness is that sadness comes with a promise. It comes with a promise. Remember what Jesus said in Matthew 5, 4. God blesses those who mourn, for they will be what? They will be comfort. They will be. It doesn't say that they may be. It doesn't say that they might be. God blesses those who are sad. God blesses those who are grieving. God blesses those who mourn. God blesses those that are experiencing deep, profound pain. And they will be comforted. It's a promise. You see, friends, it is not enough for us within the arena of the world's pain. Merely to know a God that sympathizes. It is not enough even to know of a God who heals. We need to know of a God and be connected with a God who experiences with us each grief, each wound. We need to be bonded with the God who has had nails in his hands and a spear in his heart. Because friends, we have a God, we have a Savior, the Bible says, who experienced everything we will experience.
hands. Everything. The word says everything. So maybe you're here today and you're walking through sadness. Jesus experienced sadness. In fact, the Bible actually says that Jesus what? Jesus wept. Jesus cried over the death of a friend. Maybe you're here this morning and you have experienced the pain of betrayal. Hey, guess what? Jesus can sympathize. He knows what you're going through. Maybe you're here and you are experiencing consequences from your actions, sir. You're experiencing sickness. A diagnosis that came out of nowhere. Here's what I know, even though Jesus never sinned, even though Jesus never did anything wrong, the Bible says that all of our sin, all of our disease, all of our transgressions were laid upon Him. So this morning, he knows. Ten years ago, my wife and I were watching Extreme Makeover Home Edition. Do you remember that show with Ty Pennington? Move that bus. And they would go in and they would build a home for a family in about seven days. And it was a huge celebration. It was a lot of fun. And there were a lot of tears. And they were happy tears. And as we were watching one night, I turned to my wife and said, what if, babe, what if we did this on a smaller scale for children in our community who were terminally ill or have life-threatening illnesses? They become prisoners in their home. They can't go to school. They can't spend time with their friends anymore. What if? We said, let's do it. Let's try it. And we went to our local hospice, our nonprofit hospice, the only one that treated pediatric patients We gave them the dream. We gave them the vision. And they said, let us do our due diligence. We got to call our attorneys and we got to call administration. We got to do all the things. And I said, I understand. 30 minutes later, my phone rang and they said, hey, we'd rather ask for forgiveness than permission on this one. Okay. But they said, we have a nine-year-old girl that needs a room now. And so they introduced us to Leilani. When Leilani was seven years old, she found out she had bone cancer. If you know anything about cancer, bone cancer is is tough. It's painful. And for two years, she had lived with bone cancer. And when our team went in and talked to her family and talked to her, we said, what kind of dream room do you want? And she said, I want a Hawaiian luau room. Because when she was seven, Make-A-Wish sent her to Hawaii. She said, I want a palm tree and... I want a four-post bed, and I, I want a dollhouse that looks like the hotel that I stayed in. I said, okay. And so our team went to work, and we rented out a spa so her and her parents can go since she couldn't be around people. We tried to help them spend the weekend making memories together. And for two days, our team worked so hard on this room, and I'll never forget the reveal. She came in on her walker, and she had oxygen, and 
Her arms and her legs were only about this thick at the time. And she wrapped her arms around my neck and squeezed as hard as she could, but it felt like nothing. And she said, this is the greatest day of my life. She had a palm tree and murals on the wall. They built a four-post bed that went around her hospital bed. They turned her hospital table into a surfboard. My father-in-law hand-built a dollhouse that looked like that hotel. And a few weeks later, a storm system came in. A literal storm started moving in. And she was on equipment that had to have generator power back up. And so she went to the local women's and children's hospital. And while she was there, she began to decline. Now, let me say this. Her parents, they tried everything. Everything. Every treatment, they tried everything to save their little girl. And they were talking to the doctor about another treatment when he was making rounds and This nine-year-old little girl said to the doctor, I know I'm about to see Jesus. Can I die in my room? And so the hospital, they made it happen. And she passed away in a room with her family surrounding her. And her dad called me and he said, listen, everybody walked away from us. Our church forgot about us. We don't have anybody to do the the funeral. I know we've only known you for two days, but you're our pastor. And I'll never forget being in that chapel, standing next to a casket with the body of a nine-year-old girl. And I said out loud, it was just me and the body in the room. And I looked at God and I said, God, if this is what you have called me to do, you have called the wrong guy. I didn't sign up for this. I didn't want this. I didn't say yes to this. But I've done every funeral for every child that's come through our program. Because God knows what he's doing. Two weeks after the funeral, her Dad called me and said, can we grab coffee? And, I, and I'll never, I remember the coffee shop and the table. I remember the chair that I sat in. And he said, Jason, there was more life in our house in two days than there had been in two years. And he said something that shocked me. He said something that I never would have imagined anyone in that situation saying. He said, you gave us hope. You see, in my mind, I would have thought hope would been saying hey your daughter's gonna make it but that's not what hope was to this family hope was knowing that somebody saw them and somebody remembered them and somebody loved them and somebody cared about them enough to care about their child that was hope it changed everything for me because what I realized in that moment I realized my purpose I may not be able to add days to people's life but I can add life to people's days And it was, it was through their pain that I found my purpose. And they experienced hope. In their mourning, they were comforted. And maybe you're here today and 
you've been walking through a tough time you've been in a valley season Uh, maybe it's been a day a week a month a year maybe it's been 15 years 20 years 30 years 40 years and you've had all these years of mourning and all these years of pain and all these years of sadness I've got to tell you my prayer and the prayer of the prayer team before services today is that today is the day that you would receive the promise today is the day that you would receive the comforting you would receive the unexplainable indescribable peace that can only come from Jesus I believe that. And I speak comfort over you in Jesus' name. I speak peace over you in Jesus' name. I speak the the joy of the morning over you in Jesus' name. I believe it. I believe it. But, But here's what I know. Here's what I know. I know that whether it's peace, whether it's comfort, whether it's healing, whatever it is, if we want to live the abundant life, If we want to have the blessed life, friends, it starts with knowing Jesus. And you may be here this morning and you know about Jesus, but I I need you to understand there is more than knowing about Jesus. You can know Jesus. And you can know Him personally. The Bible says that we are sinners. We're sinners. And listen, I say that to you without an ounce of condemnation, with with no haughty spirit. I say that to you with every ounce of humility that is in me. We are sinners. We say things and we think things and we do things that disobey God, that do not follow God's plan. And the scripture is clear that the wages of sin is death, physical death and spiritual death. But I love this. The Bible also says that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. You see, while we are sinners, the Bible is clear. God loves us. God loves you. God has your best in mind. God wants you to experience that blessed, abundant life that only comes from His Son, Jesus. And while we were sinners, while we were destined for an eternity of separation from God, God said, I love you so much, I'm stepping out of heaven. As the God-man, Jesus Christ, and I'm going to live a perfect life, and Jesus did. And Jesus did what we could not do. He never said anything or did anything or even thought anything wrong. He fulfilled the law of God. He was the perfect sacrifice. The Bible says that Jesus willingly gave up his life. He willingly died on a cross. He spilled his blood so that you could be forgiven of your sin, so that you could be set free from your sin. He didn't stay dead. And the Bible says that he rose from the grave. He was resurrected. He came back to life again to prove to everyone that he was exactly who he said he was. The son of God in the flesh. The one that could forgive sin. And 
The Bible says he is at the right hand of the Father and he is praying for you. He is interceding for you because it is his heart. It is his desire that you would choose him, that you would follow him, that you would place your faith in him. Friends, it's a decision that only you can make and a priest can't make it for you and a pastor can't make it for you and your parents can't make it for you. You've got to choose Jesus. We want to give you that opportunity today. Listen, we are not going to call you out or call you up or embarrass you, take you to a room and ask you questions. We believe that you can talk to God yourself right here, right now. And we want to give you that opportunity. I'm just going to ask everyone to bow your heads and close your eyes. Nobody's looking around. Let's make this as private of a moment as we can. Maybe you're here today and you'd say, Jason, that's me. Jason, I need to place my faith in Jesus. I need to be saved. I need to be forgiven. If that's you, I'm going to count to three. And when I say three, all I want to ask you to do is raise your hand so that we can pray for you specifically. If you want to place your faith in Jesus, when I say three, just slip your hand up. One, two, three. I see you. 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 So I, I don't want to pressure you. I see you. I see you. I see you. I see you. Just want to invite you. Anybody else? I see you. Amen. Here's what I want to ask you to do. If that was you, your hands are lifted. Actually, I just would love to ask everybody in the room. I'm, I'm going to pray a prayer. If this prayer reflects what God's doing in your heart and life, I, I just invite you. Let's pray it out loud together this morning. Father God, I've been going my own direction with my life. I've been doing my own thing making my own decisions, trying to be my own God. And today I realize I'm a sinner separated from you and I need a Savior. I believe that Savior is your son Jesus. I believe Jesus died on a cross and rose again from the grave. And I believe he did it for me. So God, I ask you to forgive me and to change me. Jesus, you're my Lord. And I will follow you for the rest of my life. Jesus, it's in your name I pray. Amen.